Yeah, I knew we needed a little pause before I came after that song. I um, married into a family that really loved to play games. And I learned that when you go to a family gathering, you bring a tote full of games, and you may or may not be forced to stay up way into the late hours of the night to play games with everybody. And we don't play games quietly, we play games very loudly in a robust way so nobody can sleep in the house. I did learn a lot of things about my husband's family. One of the most important things I learned is that my mother-in-law, Margaret, was really, really, really competitive. And if any of you know her, <laughs> you might find this surprising. She played to win. She did not accept cheating. She gave nobody an advantage, not even her grandkids. She played to win, and she was bound and determined to win. She played cutthroat. Everything cutthroat, including Candyland, <laughs> with her grandkids, and it didn't matter who she crushed, even if it was the grandkids, she played to win. So, lots of information did I learn from playing games with my, my husband's family. And one of the games, that we didn't play, but is actually a game that is specifically meant to allow us to get to know one another better, is called, you've probably heard this, Would You Rather? I found a list of 250 of the best Would You Rather questions for adults so that you could really get to know somebody on a deeper level. So let's hear some of them. Number nine. Would you rather have everyone you know be able to read your thoughts or for everyone you know to have access to your internet history? Number 11, would you rather have universal respect or unlimited power? That's a good one. Number 31, would you, I like this one. Would you rather watch nothing but Hallmark Christmas movies or nothing but horror movies. Number 36, would you rather always have a full phone battery or a full tank of gas? <laughs> I need the full tank of gas. And number 200, would you rather be criticized or ignored? I'm not really sure that this is actually a game because aren't games actually supposed to determine a winner and a loser? This is for sure not a game that my mother-in-law would play because there's not a chance for her to win. <laughs> and she certainly wouldn't want to play one of those games where everybody's the winner, which actually we are, we would be, because we get to know each other better. That's a win. So at any rate, would you rather questions are really meant to get to know somebody well and really give us an opportunity to think about what is important to us and it allows others to really get a glimpse at what we value. So we have been in the book of Esther, specifically in chapter four, for two weeks. Now we're going on three and we're going to read through it again because there is so much in here that we want to dig deeper and there's so many things for us to look at. So if you're in the Blue Bibles, you're on page 212, 
and we're going to read all the way through, verses 1 through 17. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the, to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping, lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was, very, was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. When Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's units, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went out and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. So remember, a quick review, the Jews are mourning and lamenting because they have found out, they've been told that they are going to be annihilated, the entire country of Jews. And so they are, they're in, they're in shambles. What do you do? Why is this happening? And the reason that this is happening is because Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. And Haman, in this vengeful rage, ordered and convinced the king and paid the king to kill all of the Jews in his land. And so we see in verse 5, we start to see Mordecai and Esther starting this communication between Hathak 
Hathak, remember, was a eunuch that was assigned to care for Esther and watch over her by the king. And he's apparently somewhat of a trusted person because some of the information that is being exchanged between them is kind of important um, and emotional. So Esther sent Hathak to Mordecai to find out why this mourning was taking place. And he sent back all of the details, including a copy of the decree. And he wanted Hathak to impress upon her how dire and how serious this situation was. And that he um, wanted her to respond in a certain way. He actually told Esther, you need to use your favor with the king and go to him and you need to intervene on the behalf of your people. And this shouldn't really come as a surprise to us because Mordecai, since the beginning of the book of Esther, has been advising and telling Esther what to do. Um, and so we really shouldn't be surprised that he's telling her what to do again. But this time, Esther said no. She was like, are you kidding me? Everybody in this kingdom knows that nobody is to go into the king's inner court without being invited. And I am no exception. Remember that the previous queen had been kicked out because she did not do what the king had asked her to do. So even Esther, as the queen, doesn't seem to think that her position would earn her any power or favor in meeting with him. So this situation goes beyond what Esther signed up for. It goes beyond what she thought that she what she thought she was going to have to deal with as the queen in this land. Even though she married the king and had his favor at one time, she's not convinced that she still has his favor because he has not called her for 30 days. And so she realizes that the stakes are really, really high. She could be killed for going to the king uninvited. She could be killed because she kept her identity a secret. She could be killed with the rest of the Jewish people because she kept her secret, but then it was revealed. There is a chance that she could be spared if she does nothing at all, but then she would be saved and all of her people would die. And the best case scenario would be that if she does go and speak to the king, Esther and her people would be saved. And so there's a lot for her to weigh. It seems like there's more instances, more situations that are not going to um, fare well for Esther than there are opportunities for it to go well for her. How often do we really think about the costs of the decisions that we make? And I don't mean like the decisions, like the financial cost of things, but how often do we think about the impact of our decisions on people around us or ourselves? Like whether or not we take a job, whether or not we agree to a relocation, who we marry. Those kinds of decisions, I think we are more inclined, most of us are pretty inclined to take into consideration the impact on other people. But for Esther, the stakes are much, much higher than this. And for her, the question is, would you rather die trying to save your people, who are God's chosen people, or live with a secret that saves only you? What is the cost of her actions on the kingdom of God? 
as committed, as committed followers of Christ, do we think like this? What is the cost of our actions on the kingdom of God? It's like working for a company that expects you to represent them well. Maybe they expect you to wear a uniform or maybe like a shirt that carries the company logo on it. And they expect you, you are a representative of their, co of their company. And if you go out and you're working with public, they expect your conduct to be representative of their company values and the expectations that they have for you. And if you don't carry those out and you don't live out and provide those um, expectations, then oftentimes your employment may be in jeopardy. Or it's like being an ambassador, like when we have um, a, a diplomat that is sent to a country as a representative of our country. Or maybe an ambassador might be a person who acts as a representative or a promoter, like the Princess Kay of the Milky Way. We, anybody see her this weekend? We were at the State Fair, and we saw Princess Kay of the Milky Way, Rachel um, Rin, Rinda, um, sitting in the 40-degree glass structure, having her likeness carved into butter. Did you know that they take that home? Like, it's actually theirs to take home. I was listening to her, her talking there in her, like, parka. And she was telling everybody outside in the dairy barn. Um, is it a barn? Dairy building? Um, she was telling everybody that what she was going to do with all of this butter is she was going to have a movie party with all of her friends and family. And so she was going to slice off the chunks of butter to melt to pour on the popcorn. I thought that was good. I was surprised that they even take that thing home. I'm like, what are you going to do with that? I'd be curious to know what some of the other princesses did with that. But Rachel is an ambassador, and she is representing the Midwest Dairy Association. And she goes to parades, and she is a, a spokesperson. People know who she is. And if they don't know who she is, she's going to tell them who she is as a, as a way to promote the Midwest Dairy Association. She is a representative of the Midwest Dairy Association. The question for us is, do we live as ambassadors? Do we live our identity as followers of Christ well? Do we represent the kingdom of God well? Do people see us or engage with us and say, wow, there is something there that is really appealing to me. There is something there that really draws me in, and I want to know more about that person. Do we live our identity as a follower of Christ well? Esther's identity mattered. Her faith in God, his purpose, and his promises mattered. In her, and her faith was not wasted. If she wasn't, if she did not have faith in God, uh, she probably would have done whatever she thought best was for her in this situation to save herself from death. And quite frankly, if that was the case, if, she, if, if God was not who she was following, the people that she lived with probably wouldn't even thought twice about her saving herself because that's what the world would have been geared towards. But she knew that she was part of something much bigger than herself. 
And it's the same for us. Our identity as followers of Christ should have an impact on this world. When faced with decisions, how do we determine the right response? Do our decisions honor and glorify God, advance his purpose, grow his kingdom? Do our behaviors, attitudes, and interactions reflect the love of Jesus? Or do we fall in line with the expectations of the world that we live in? The challenge comes when we're carrying two different identities. Esther is the queen, and she's Jewish. And she needs to decide which one is going to inform her decision. Carrying two identities can be really tricky for us. What do we do when a friend engages in gossip? Do we stop them? Or do we say nothing? What if somebody tells a racist, sexist, or derogatory joke? Do we tell them that we are offended by it or that it was offensive? Or do we laugh with everybody else? Do we cheat when nobody's looking? Or do we tell a white lie? Because everybody does. Do we fall in alignment with the world that we live in? Do we act one way on a Sunday morning in fellowship together and then another way Monday through Friday at work or at home? Do we leave our identity in Christ here or do we take it out with us? Years ago, one of my kids <laughs> said to me, Mom, why are you nicer to everybody else's kids at church than you are to us? <laughs> and if you know me, you know that I had some real snarky comeback, and it probably was not helpful. Because <laughs> I insisted, like, I am not nicer to other people's kids. Are you kidding me? Because I'm thinking, they don't live here. <laughs> That's why. Let's be honest. But the reality of it is, I was sometimes nicer to other people's kids here than I was to my own. And the remarks that my child made were rather convicting. Why would I treat other people's children better than my own? Now, understanding that we have to parent and parenting can be hard and sometimes we have to be the bad guy. But generally speaking, it was a question that caused me to pause. As much as I didn't like being called out on my behavior by a child, <laughs> I needed the reminder, and it clearly had an impact on me because I remember that conversation five plus years later. Ultimately, Esther's identity as a Jew prevailed, but like me, she needed a little bit of a reminder Mordecai pushed back on Esther's resistance. He implored Esther to do the right thing, saying, don't even think for one minute that in this situation, you are going to be the one and only Jew left standing. Because the decree says all. And your secret might not be that safe. Because we are enlisting the help of um, Hathak, and your female servants to communicate between the two of us, to, between, Esther, between Mordecai and Esther. And so that secret might not be quite as secure as we might think it is. 
And there is, it, this is where he drops the famous rhetorical question that we hear about all the time, and that sometimes people want to ask us or we ask ourselves when we're struggling in, dis, in a decision that we have to make. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The question pushes Esther to ponder the possibility that she was placed in the position as the queen so that she can serve God's purpose in that time and in that place. We know that this pushback was necessary because Esther did change her mind and she did end up going to the king on behalf of her people. But how do we respond to someone who challenges us? Do we bristle? and get defensive? Do we consider the question or the challenge? Are we threatened by the pushback? And what happens to our pride? It's hard to be challenged on a personal level, and in the moment, it's, it is easy to feel angry and defensive. I have received this kind of pushback before, and I would say that my child's response to me was the pushback that was necessary in my life at that time. And I've had people that I respect and love challenge my behavior, my attitudes, my beliefs. And I have been mad and I've been put off. <laughs> Maybe even didn't talk to somebody for a little while. But I can see now looking back that these people, some of them were right on the money. I did have something that I needed to reconsider and look more closely at. They saw something that I could not see and they gave me the pushback that I needed to see things differently and pay closer attention to myself in relation to the kingdom of God. Do you have people that challenge you, that push you or reorient you towards God's calling for you as a follower of Christ in this world? Are we open to receiving this kind of pushback? Mordecai is saying to Esther, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. As followers of Christ, we sometimes need that same reminder. A gentle pushback or course correction, the same reminder. Remember whose you are. Remember who you are. Life's circumstances and the choices that we make are actually the real life. Would you rather game? being played out. It's not actually a game, but our responses do tell the world who we are and whose we are and what we value most. The ultimate question for us is this. Would you rather live yours or God's will for your life in this world? Would you rather live yours or God's will for your life in this world. Let's pray. Father God, you are the creator of all good things and a God who keeps your promises. Lord, sometimes our choices and our behaviors are not a great representation of who you are and who you want us to be in your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would soften our hearts, that we would be open to the people that you place in our lives that want to give us that gentle pushback, 
that want us to challenge our actions, our attitudes, and our behavior. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive it and that we would consider it and that it could be some type of course correction for us. Lord, I thank you for the people that you place in our lives that love us and love you, that want to be helpful, that see ways that we can be better in representing your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for being a God of mercy and grace. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of redemption that you have given us in Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. (coughs) 